Hello everyone, welcome back to yet another edition of Mike and Amit Talk Tech. Today, we're actually going to touch upon a topic that hasn't been sexy for a while. Autonomous driving, self-driving cars. Now, I believe they were already supposed to be here, but to understand where we are on this, what are the different levels of autonomous driving, let us hear from uh, my friend and host, Mike. Hey, Mike, so I understand there's different levels of autonomous driving, right? What are they? Where are we today? There are different levels, and, and this is one of those topics, right, that it's suddenly it's the sexiest thing is going to change the world, and then it kind of disappears, and we seem to be a, in a bit of an autonomous driving winter at the moment. I have a car that can drive itself. You know, does it really drive itself? No, but it's not bad, and, and, and I do use it. So, so let's look at the different levels of what, what does autonomous driving actually mean? Well, according to the Society of Automotive Engineers, there are, there are six levels. I mean, it's really confusing, actually. It's more confusing than it needs to be, but, but they are, I mean, level zero is the first level, which is no automation. Then there's level one, and level one is driver assistance, right? So driver assistance is, you know, if your car has adaptive cruise control, that's level one, you know, it'll it'll set the speed, but it'll also slow down a little bit if there's a car ahead, it'll speed up if the car leaves the lane, that type of thing. Lane departure warnings, automatic braking, those are level one. Then there's level two, which is partial automation. And level two is where you have kind of advanced driver assistance features, like lane centering, parking assistance, adaptive cruise control, but, but at a higher level. But even with partial automation level two, the driver must remain engaged and attentive at all times and be able to take over. So if we see Tesla at the moment, Tesla is basically level two. Now remember this, this like goes up to level five, right? So I know that Tesla talks about full self-driving, but, but from a technical point of view, it's only really level two. Then we get to level three, which is conditional automation. This is where the system can take full control of the automobile in certain situations like highways. And we've got a couple, we've got Honda that's been certified level three, uh, Mercedes-Benz has been certified level three, but very, very limited at the moment. Then we have level four, which is high automation. These are basically vehicles that can drive themselves, but under certain circumstances, such as extreme weather conditions or whatever, they may require human intervention, so they still need the wheel. They still need, you know, the other things that the human can use to drive. And then level five, level five is full automation where basically the car does everything. You don't even have the opportunity to take over control because there are no controls to take over. The vehicle does everything. So that's level five. And we are a long way, despite the predictions, by the way, and there's been predictions. Somebody put together, I saw the other day, a video of Elon Musk, you know, every year from 2015 to 2021 say, next year, <laughs> it's coming next year. Well, it's still not here. You know, I'm one of those, uh, me and my family, one of those who have fallen for those predictions because, you know, I have a teenage daughter. And since she was about six or seven years old, she's been telling me saying that I will probably never need a driver's license because by the time I'm 17, we'll just have self-driving cars. And 10 years ago, that seemed like a logical thing. And of course, now she's about to turn 17 and we are nowhere in sight. But Mike, let's 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 not understand this, right? While we are focused on consumer cars, right? I mean, on vehicles that you and I might drive, we are a little bit higher up. We are still not probably at level five, but we are significantly higher up in some other B2B closed environment kinds of uses. For example, 
farm vehicles, vehicles that are used in uh, in specialized conditions like mining. You know, you and I work with companies that already use fairly fully automized vehicles inside deep mine shafts and for massive, massive agricultural uh, kinds of projects and stuff like that, right? So would they be close to what level four maybe? Yes, definitely. When you control parameters that potentially bring in risk, you know, if you remove those, then you can get situations when we could be very close to level four. Like you say, in a mine, you know, there's, there's a great amount of incentive for mining companies to look at autonomous vehicles for safety, right? At cost. There's all kinds of reasons why you don't want to put people, you know, hundreds of meters down below the ground. Trains is, is another example. There's a lot of uh, fully autonomous trains where you have a track, you don't have traffic coming in and out. Uh, you can control the environment a lot more. Planes, of course, we've had fully autonomous planes for many, many years. And yes, it's dangerous in the sky, but there's a lot fewer things that potentially go wrong, right? Yes, it might rain, uh, but you're not going to have a dog uh, running out in front of you. And of course, planes have been, you know, driving themselves, I guess, flying themselves, I guess, for many, many years. And that, by the way, includes takeoffs and landings, right? It's not just during the flight. I mean, these days for, for many, many flights, I mean, the pilot is really just a backup system. But we could go a step further and argue that military drones are probably close to a level five, right? Because they've got nothing. They've got no controls, but obviously there is a go no go signal that a human has to give. So it's still a human in the loop. But in that context, they are. And again, with planes or with a lot of these... We can totally see in a few years uh, cargo planes, right, being relatively fully autonomous with still probably uh, a human behind wheel just for safety's sake in case they drop uh, the cyclotron from the sky or something like that. But there are plenty of barriers, right? I mean, if we're really looking at, as most people think about autonomous cars, is, you know, things on the street, right? So, you know, when are we going to start seeing real autonomous vehicles? When are we going to have we own one or subscribe to a mobility service that contains one. I mean, they do exist in, in limited places. You know, you have trials often in, in very sunny locations, right? With no snow, you know, wide streets. Uh, so Southwest of the U.S. Uh, is Waymo's favorite place to test out the Google at uh, autonomous uh, driving subsidiary and cruise as well from GM, but they still, you know, after hundred billion US dollars in investment in 10 years of development, they're, they're still not great. You know, one of the things that they always, you know, surprises me is that they have a really tough time making left turns. You know, most autonomous cars today, they still make three right turns instead of one left because it's just so complicated to do what most of us do, you know, without any problem at all. Remember, I think you visited as well. Remember when, when we visited uh, Waymo and uh, we spoke to them and, and one of the things we asked them is say, hey, what kind of machine learning, what kind of AI you're using? And the answer they gave was everything that we have. This is just such a crazy complex problem that we are literally throwing the kitchen sink at it. So hundreds of billions of dollars, right? Look, let's let's be clear. We've had progress, right? We've, I think we are 90, 92% of the way there. Unfortunately, the last eight or ten percent is going to require exponential amounts of effort, and the last eight to ten percent is probably ninety-nine percent of the technical as well as expertise level problems that are left. However, in my opinion, besides the technical issues, I think there are two other crucial issues that really need to be addressed before we're going to go anywhere with this, practically speaking. Right? 
The first one of these is regulatory. So Mike, you and I, we both work with institutions, we both work with governments. How often have you heard saying, okay, we have no regulatory systems in place to govern this. We don't know who's responsible for accidents. We don't know whom to punish. We don't know whom to charge. We don't know how the insurance is going to work, how the justice system is going to work in case something goes wrong, which it most probably will. I mean, come on, at the end of the day, this is a machine. Machines fail, right? So the regulatory system is still, I think, fairly primitive. I think there's some thought being given to it, but I think we are still, I think we are further off from figuring out regulations than we are from figuring out the technology. That's my perspective. And the second barrier besides technology, I think, is a social or ethical barrier, right? For reasons that I'm not a psychologist or I'm not even a sociologist or anything like that, for some reason, we seem to be much more forgiving of mistakes made by other human beings as compared to mistakes made by machines. I think we expect machines to be infallible, right? So. I believe the number is what, 3 million people a year suffer accidents all around the world. But one Tesla accident and we say, okay, shut down this program. Right? I mean, this is how dare a autonomous vehicle hit a pedestrian. And of course, in that particular case, unfortunately, the person passed away. So I, I think those are much, much deeper and harder to crack to nuts in my opinion. I think you're right. This, the technology is hard, but the kind of the human side, the regulatory side, the social, the acceptance. I mean, a lot of cars now have level two autonomy included. And in fact, the data shows that very few people use them. Now, why? It's it, it's hard to say. Is it because they're uncomfortable with it? They tried it and didn't like it or they never tried it. I think there's probably a bunch of different reasons, but socially... The acceptance is tricky, right? Are people actually, even though the data, I think, is trending towards a much better situation, right? There's, you know, whatever it was in 2020 in the United States, 40,000 people died, right? And, and that was in a COVID year, people working from home, you know, as a result of automobile accidents, you're going to have far fewer, right? I mean, you may have a few. Uh, you may have a few, and if you do, they're going to get a lot of press, but it's going to, not going to be 40,000 people. And I think the other thing is is cost. It's still expensive, and the cost has got to come down, all the sensors that need to be in these vehicles, to the point where you know the average person can afford to have this in a vehicle that they would use. I agree with that, right? I mean, and those uh, listeners who listened to the other episode that Mike and I did, on computing, on Moore's law. And, you know, we heard us talk about things like quantum computing and how we will still keep the exponential growth of processing power growing for the next few years. I think that has a critical role to play in cracking the technical aspects of this particular technology. I think we will need some of these newer materials, which are hopefully going to be cheaper. We will need newer kinds of sensors. And of course, we will need incredible amounts of processing power sitting in the car that is reasonably cheap and accurate before we really crack this at a level that we can then go to the regulatory and social problems. Because until that happens, what's going to happen is most governments, you know, be governments, they're just going to kick the can down the road and say, hey, look, when when this thing is 99% accurate, then we will think about what laws to pass. You know? and, and if I were to predict how that's going to happen, I would imagine that first it's going to happen with a single lane on a highway. So maybe a, a six lane highway, three lanes each way. And then, and then, you know, one lane each way is going to be autonomous only. 
And what we'll see when we do that is that it's vastly improved, right? That these vehicles, you know, because they can go so close to each other, they're communicating with each other. You can get a lot more people, a lot more goods through at a certain time. We're going to say, wow, that, that's, you know, the productivity improvement here is massive and that one lane will be two lanes. And then eventually it'll be the whole highway. And so if you want to drive a car, you push to the secondary roads and then it'll go like that. So eventually, I think if, if you really want to drive your own vehicle, you've got to go on either very, very small roads or onto a track. And I think it's kind of fun to kind of, you know, look at that world and think, okay, if that were the case, so if that were the case and autonomous cars are everywhere, what would be, dis what would be the disruptive impact on that. I think there's some there's some kind of obvious ones you think of right away, but then there's some kind of fun, less obvious ones. So let's look at both. So the obvious ones, the automotive industry, right? If, if you can be a lot more productive and efficient in how you use vehicles, you probably don't need as many of them, right? Uh, you won't have a situation where, you know, cars are just sitting there because the owner happens to be at the office, you know, the vehicle can keep going and pick up other people or goods. You know, so there's a much more efficient capacity utilization. You probably need fewer automobiles. You need fewer repair shops. There's a fewer accidents. Driving schools are going to disappear. Police are not going to have as much to do and they'll get less revenue because these vehicles don't speed and they don't drive dangerously and, and so forth. So I think there's a bunch of obvious ones that are on the negative side, but then I think there's also the positive side, right? Who's going to win? Well, the companies that make sensors, you know, IoT devices, connectivity, telcos. I mean, they're all going to benefit. But then there's the disruptions that are less maybe in your face and obvious, like like the healthcare system, right? There'll be fewer accidents. You you, you could only imagine there'd be fewer accidents. There's so so many accidents happen because of human error. So, you know, there'll be less need for the healthcare system and like insurance. You know, fewer accidents, I guess, fewer claims, but but lower premiums at the same time. The insurance industry is going to be disrupted, logistics, shipping. It doesn't mean that shipping is going to go away. We're still going to need stuff, right? But, you know, maybe it's different companies. Drivers, by the way, is not going to end well for drivers. And there's many, many, hundreds of millions of people who make their living driving, you know, around the world. And then there's, there's those really kind of longer term, non-intuitive disruptions, like it could be really good for the education industry. Yes. Why would it, right? But, but if you imagine you have level, level five autonomy, you know, you don't need to drive the car so you could reconfigure how that thing looks like, you know, you could have it as a big movie theater or you could, you could have it as an online classroom. Yeah. Right. You could sleep in there, which means it could impact the hospitality industry. If you have more time, you could do more shopping. And by the way, if you don't need to own a vehicle, if you just subscribe to a mobility service, then you have more capital, you know, spending money. So I think there's all kinds of, you know, not obvious disruptions, both positive and negative, that could come as a result of fully autonomous cars if they ever take over our roads. Personally, if you, if you ask me, Mike, I'd say that technology... If I had to guess today, right, I'd say it's about still about 15 years away. Let's ask our listeners this following question, right? And let's uh, think about this for yourselves. What do you program a self-driving car to do when, when a human being is in front of it? So a self-driving car is driving down the road and a human being comes in front of it, either by mistake or purposely, whatever the case may be, what do you program a self-driving car to do? And the obvious answer that most of us think about is, look, I programmed the self-driving car to stop, okay? 
I'm not going to do any funky experiments of the car has to keep going or something like that. The car can stop, okay? A human being comes in front of the car, a little kid comes in front of the car, whatever the case may be, and I pro what do I program the car to do? The answer is simple, I program the car to stop. Okay, that sounds logical. Now think about the following thing. Think about how all of us walk on city streets, everywhere around the world, right? Even in the most chaotic parts of the world, most of us walk away from the main roads because that's where the vehicles run. Now, we have only learned this behavior in the last 100 or 120 years or so, right? Genetically, there's no reason why we need to walk on the side of the road in particular directions and stay away from this, except for the fact that we'll get really badly hurt if we try to walk in the middle of the road. Now flip that around. If the world is full of self-driving cars that stop whenever a human being is in front, what motivation do I have to walk on the side of the street? None whatsoever. I can walk in the middle of the road and I know that self-driving car coming toward me has to stop, which raises the original question again. What do you program the car to do? We might actually have to program the car to every once in a while hit a human being just to keep the 8 billion or so of us honest and allow the cars to run on the streets. So these are completely chaotic uh, problems which we have no answers to. But that's what makes this such a fascinating topic, right? All these funky ethical questions that we don't really have to ask ourselves today, we will have to ask in a world full of autonomous autonomous vehicles. So I think it is it is a fascinating area. Probably I agree with you. It's, you know, if we really want to get to level four and level five, it's 10 years. And, and it's 10 years in advanced economies, right? If you're looking at the streets of Calcutta, you're looking at more time, right? But, you know, in advanced economies, maybe 10, maybe 15 years, you're going to see these appearing, as, as we said before, and expanding. And then we're going to start getting some of these funky ethical issues. In the end, I think it will help us because all that time that we spend driving is not really productive time. We can listen to music, we can have a conversation on the phone, but that's about it. And if you could imagine that we no longer have to worry about the driving part that's taken care of, we can be a heck of a lot more productive than we are today. So I think overall, it's a positive thing for us, even though we'll have to deal with some of these really strange and interesting ethical issues down the road. All right, folks, there you have it. Another fun discussion with Mike Wade on Mike and Amit Top Tech. Thank you very much for joining us and see you all for the next episode.